Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, We have three words for your family, live, love, and serve. Amen. Listen, I want to do something a little different today. I'm going to be weaving um, a narrative. This word, this scripture really um, was placed on my heart the other evening, and um, it it is so much and so many layers to this story. I'm just going to read the end of the story, one verse, and try to weave a narrative in here on tonight, on today. And so in the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter, I want to lift up the 33rd verse, 2 Samuel 18 and 33, and here's how it reads. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Come on, let's pray again. God, may the words that you declare on today and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength. You are our redeemer. Have your way. Let your word this morning not only go to work, but do its own work, O God. We'll continue to honor you. And we'll honor you by honoring one another, O God. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, God. Thank you. And amen. I want to read that scripture again. 2 Samuel 18, verse 33. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This morning, I want to speak from the subject dealing with denial dealing with denial. Last week, I 
talked about David and shared how David is and has been for some time now probably my favorite uh, personality in Scripture. I found myself this past week led back to a story that has so many layers and woven between the layers are rivulets of pain that almost paint a scene filled with grief, sorrow, and mourning on many levels. The 33rd verse of 2 Samuel 18 gives us a picture of not King David, but David the father, who is grieving and mourning the loss of his son, Absalom. The Bible is clear. Absalom was considered a beautiful person, the fairest of so many, long flowing hair. David loved his son. And when he found out that his son was dead, he began to mourn. He walked away by himself, went to the chamber above the gate, the city, and cried out his name, Absalom, my son, my son. I can almost see David mourning and grieving and hurting. I cannot imagine what it feels like to lose a child, but I know there are many among us who know that feeling. But just as I read David's words, I also hear David's words. The wounded wail of a grieving father, Absalom, my son. I wish I could have died in your place. But when I read and hear David's wounded wailing, I can't help but think that even his grieving has layers. Maybe David's grief and mourning and sorrow are not just for Absalom, but maybe in addition to the death of his son, David is mourning something that may have set the context for the death of his son. You don't necessarily get it in 2 Samuel 18, but if you go back a few chapters, you'll see what may have been at the heart of David's mourning that led to the death of his son, Absalom. David, maybe, maybe, and I want to weave this as best I can this morning, may have been mourning not just Absalom, but mourning for his family as a whole. His story is so profound and so powerful, and I shared on last week some of those amazing highlights, but what we don't always talk about is the dysfunction that was present in David's family. 
He was the king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the leader of Israel, the second king of Israel, who had united the southern and northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah. He was the king. But like all of us, he was a flawed human being. It is amazing how sometimes we as Christians live in spaces or seek to inhabit spaces or even tend to believe in an illusionary way that somehow being a Christian means that you are devoid of flaws. Somehow being a believer in God and a follower of the teaching of Jesus means that you no longer wrestle with yourself or wrestle with the things that even plague you or the things that that you are not so pleased about. And David was that kind of person. David's grief, I believe, is connected to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was a psalm that David penned after he realized one of his misgivings. David let his power go awry. On one occasion, it said, while the men of Israel were out in battle, David, who should have been leading the charge in the fight as the king, and not just the king, but a military warrior in his own right, decided to stay back while the army was fighting. And one day as he was in his home, he, scripture said that he went to the top part, the roof of his house, of his, of his uh, uh, palace, so to speak. And one day as he's gazing on the roof, he looks across and he sees a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. David saw her, and in that very moment of seeing her, all of the greed, the power, and the narcissism that can happen at times overtakes David, and David doesn't just see her, but he wants her. In his mind, he's the king. That gives him some level of power, flexibility, and unquestioned power. And in that moment, the story says that he brings Bathsheba to his place. And to make a long story short, he sleeps with Bathsheba. In his mind, he was the king, but there was a problem. Bathsheba was married. And after he slept with her, he was fearful that, that maybe she was pregnant and maybe it would be his child and how could he? He was the king. He was a man after God's own heart and here she was, a married woman. Not only a married woman, but married to a man who was one of the mighty warriors of David, Uriah. And the record said that David tried on numerous ways to cover up his tracks to make it appear that he was not the one who was responsible for what might be the outcome of his his relationship, as brief as it was with Bathsheba. And so he tried to have Uriah come back home. He, he brought Uriah back from the battle and wanted Uriah to be with his wife so it would cover his indiscretion. But Uriah was so committed to battle and so committed to his king that he refused to even be with his wife while he was in a mode of warfare. And when David saw that that ploy didn't work and other ploys didn't work, ultimately he had Uriah sent to the front line of the battle where he knew Uriah would die. And Uriah was killed by the sword. David thought that he was clean now because the husband was dead and there would be no indiscretion as the king. But one day God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David in a way that was strategic and powerful. He said to David, 
What would you do, King? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story. If, if there was a wealthy man and, and, and a poor man and the, the wealthy man had herds and sheep in abundance, but the poor man had only one sheep. And he said there was an occasion, and Nathan is telling the story, where, where, where the rich man had another uh, a wealthy man come to him, and he wanted to treat him and honor him. And so the rich man, instead of using one of his sheep, one of his herd, it said that he took the one sheep that the poor man had, and he offered it up to the other wealthy man. And he took the poor man's one sheep and offered it to the wealthy man. And then Nathan said, what would you do to such a man and David said I would have that man dealt with for doing such a thing for robbing that poor man who is this person who is the one who did this in this kingdom and Nathan said those words thou art the man you were the one David God knows what you did to Uriah and I have a message for you and the message that David heard that day must have crushed his spirit God told David I saved you from Saul. I delivered Saul's house and kingdom to you. I gave you the kingdom of Israel and Judah. He said, and if everything I gave you, David, wasn't enough, I would give you more. All you have to do is ask. But instead, you had Uriah killed. And now... That indiscretion will never leave you. And here are the words that God spoke to David. The sword that, well, just as the sword was used to kill Uriah, the sword will never leave your house. It will always divide it. There will be trouble that will rise from within your house among your children, your wives. You will never not know trouble in your house. Because you abuse your power, your privilege, you let your selfishness and your greed get the best of you. You're still the king. I won't kill you, but you won't have peace. The days of your rule. There was a child that came from that affair with Bathsheba. And true to God's word, that child died in seven days. There's a powerful scene there where David, while the child was sick after birth and dying, that David was fasting and weeping and fasting and weeping for the child. And he was un inconsolable. And it says that after the child died, when David found out the child died, he stopped weeping and fasting and his servants were confused. They said, how is it, king, that when your son, your child was alive, you were weeping and fasting, but now that he's dead, you now go about your regular business and you go to eat. And he said, I was weeping and fasting while the child was dying hoping that maybe God might be gracious with me. But it was not to be the case. From that moment on, David didn't just mourn the son that was a son of his indiscretion. He was mourning a disconnection from God. God was still present, and yes, God was still with him, but things were not the same because he abused the power and privilege that God gave him. And from that moment on, David won battles and had victories, but there was no peace in his house. He had many children. One of those children was a son, Amnon. And he had another son, Absalom. And he had a daughter who was Absalom's sister, Tamar. 
And the scripture says that Amnon, who was the half-brother of Absalom and Tamar, was infatuated with Tamar. He wanted her for himself. He loved her. All he could think about was Tamar. And one of his friends helped him concoct a plan that he could be with Tamar, that he would feign sickness and say that the only one who could feed him and console him was his sister Tamar. And the scripture says that when Tamar came to feed him, that Amnon saw this as an opportunity to take advantage. And he tried. Well, he didn't try. He raped her. As he was about to even rape her, she, pled, she was pleading that he would stop. She said to Amnon, why would you do this? Why would you do this vile thing? Nothing like this has existed in Israel before. Why would you do this? And she said, and if you do this, where will I go with my shame? Who will have me? And in one last effort to stop Amnon from raping her, he said, she said to her brother, go to the king, go to our father. If you ask him, I'm sure he will not withhold me from you. But don't do it like this. He rapes her. He rapes her. Even after she was pleading for her sanctity, pleading for her virtue, he raped her. And just after he raped her, the scripture says he then loathed her. Which lets you know in that moment it wasn't about love of his sister. What Amnon was doing was an act of power for him. Because rape is a violent act of dysfunctional power, especially on the part of the rapist. He took his sister's virtue. He knew it was wrong, but did not care. He raped her. And after that scene, she had to live life with her brother in silence, with no virtue. No one would have her. So many, so many have had to live that way because of acts of violence committed against women. Suffering in silence and mourning in silence and living with shame. It is not a new story, unfortunately. And so many women, and in particular in this country, black women who have suffered and endured. And even I said at the beginning, as we celebrate Kamala Harris, there's also Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland. The list goes on and on of women who had to suffer in silence. Maybe not rape, but acts of abusive power that have sought to undermine so many. Amnon raped his sister. The problem was is that Tamar had a brother, Absalom, who was enraged. But he waited. He told his sister, say nothing, speak nothing of this. And he waited two years to enact his vengeance on his brother, Amnon. He gathered a feast together of not just Amnon, but all of the sons of David and he gave his men directive that when he would give the sign that they would strike Amnon. Two whole years he waited. He waited. The scripture says that when he gave the signal, the men killed Amnon and all the other sons of David fled. And then after the other sons of David fled, the scripture says down the road that then Absalom, who was bitter with his father, because when his father found out that his son had raped his daughter, here's what the scripture says. David was angry with Amnon, but he did nothing because Amnon was his firstborn, who he loved dearly. 
He loved his son so much that he did not protect his daughter. He loved his son so much that he did nothing to punish his son for what he did. But Absalom not only got revenge on his brother, but then he sought revenge against his father. How could his father allow this to happen? Why would his father do nothing? Then the scripture says that when Absalom mounted his own army to then rebel against his father, that he had mounted such an attack against his father that his father David, David the king, had to flee for fear of what his son might do to him. And then when he fled in fear of his, front, his son, his men, his warriors fought Absalom's men and the battle was fierce. But on one day, one occasion, Absalom was on his mule by himself and he was riding under a thicket of trees. And I said at the beginning, Absalom was a fair man. They said he was handsome and he had long flowing hair. And the scripture says that his hair got caught in the thickets of the trees and it snatched him off the mule and he was dangling by his hair and he could not get loose. And some of David's men saw him hanging from the tree by his hair and they went to David's mighty warrior, Joab. And Joab came and saw Absalom hanging there and he knew that Absalom had to go there'll be no way that David will be able to come back to Jerusalem the city of David the seat of the king if Absalom was still alive and right there Joab took three spears and drove them into the heart of Absalom and Absalom was dead his men fled David will be king again but they had to bring the report back to David and David's first concern was not that they win the battle not was he going back to the city that was named after him not was he going back to Jerusalem not was he on the throne again but he asked this question how is my son Absalom the one who wanted to kill him the one who was angry on him the one who wanted to take vengeance on him David loved him and said how is my son Absalom and they told David that Absalom was dead and then you see verse 33. And David goes to the chamber above the gate and cries, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. I wish it was me who died instead. But I want to look at something. Why didn't David do anything why could he not face the reality of what his son Amnon had done to his daughter Tamar there are times in our lives and I can speak even now when it's hard to look at what's in front of us it's hard to face certain harsh realities and we will concoct all sorts of narratives in our minds to avoid looking at harsh realities and sometimes the realities we face, we create different narratives, alternative narratives, because the realities that we face are so painful. And when they're painful, we will, we will deny those realities. And I have to admit that in this season, these past five months, I've seen a lot of people in denial of this reality we're in. A lot of people who've tried to act as though this is well, this will just go away on its own. It will fade away. Maybe, you know, some said it was a hoax, that it wasn't really real, that by April it'll be over. And we're still here denying what's in front of us. To craft a narrative that will make some feel at ease. Yeah, we will deny realities, especially if they are painful. We will deny realities, not just if they're painful, 
Because maybe David's denial of the reality of what Amnon did to Tamar was because it was painful. No father wants to imagine that his son raped his sister. No father would want to face that reality. Who would want to see that? Who would want to honor that? Who would want to look at that? And David, though he was angry, could do nothing because on some levels he was in denial of the reality. But maybe the denial he was facing and was engaged in was because not of the rape of his daughter, but maybe it was what his son did that was a reenactment of what he had done, used his power to rob virtue. Maybe, maybe, maybe what Amnon did was a bitter reminder of what he had done. That Psalm 51, I said that David wrote after being confronted by Nathan the prophet, there was a line where he recognized that what he had done was a transgression against God. And he says this, he said, my sin is ever before me. David knew that when he had committed the act, he would never be able to dodge the act because God had let him know that the sword would always be in his house, that trouble would always be in his house. And now when his son rapes his daughter, he sees the present reality of God's word against his own family. And it was hard to face reality. Sometimes we don't face reality if you look at David's story because the reality that is in front of us reminds us of past trauma that may trigger us. Maybe having to face his son Amnon's act against his daughter Tamar was not just a reminder of what he had done, but a reminder of what God had said. Trouble will always be in your house. The sword will always be in your house. You will have no peace in your house. Hearing those words from God must have cut David, who had found favor in God's eyes, and the Spirit of God had rested upon him. He had been through so much and come through so much and done so much in the name of God, only to hear that same God tell him that because of his power grab and his, his, his arrogance and his greed and his selfishness, that Trouble would always be in his house. Can you imagine the one who had stood firm for God, who was God's mighty warrior, who was the giant slayer, had to hear from God that something would be different in their relationship, that God would not ease pain that would come from within his house. Sometimes we deny current realities because the current realities reminds us of past trauma. Sometimes we find it hard to face what's in front of us because what's in front of us pulls us back to a place we've been trying to run from for a long time. And we seek to avoid that. Maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes we deny reality like David because we don't want to see ourselves. To face what's in front of us sometimes becomes a mirror. Oh, I know this is the case. You see, these past several months of the pandemic has been an amazing time. I shared this past week at Midweek Motivation that in this season, this has been a season of revelation on so many levels. We got to see who some people really were. Some friends you thought would be there wouldn't be there. Relationships that you thought would be there started dissolving. Things you thought would always be in place started fading away. We experienced great revelation and insight in this season. And most of all, most of all, not that God show us things about other people. Maybe we had to see some things about ourselves. And seeing those hardships, those harsh realities about ourselves became 
problematic. You see, sometimes we're on the move too much to be still enough to look in the mirror. And for some of us, this season was a moment where we had to learn how to see ourselves, confront ourselves, become aware of ourselves. And that is never easy work. What David was facing was a reminder of what he had done, a reminder of what God had said, a reminder of who he was. And because of that, he was in denial. Have you ever felt that in your life? Where the reality was so painful that denial seemed like the best and most logical option that was in front of you. It was a philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche. He said something. He said, people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. Sometimes we rather live in denial of the truth because the illusions we created in order to avoid the reality we face are so good and so valuable and become so helpful. We rather, we rather live in the illusion, protect the illusion, because illusion keeps us sane because reality is so harsh. We also remind in these kinds of seasons that denying the truth, though, doesn't change the facts. You can deny the current condition all you want, but it won't change the reality of millions globally who've been infected. In this country, almost 170,000 people who've died. You can deny it all you want, but it won't change the facts of where we are right now. I was in the elevator at the hospital not too long ago for an appointment, and I got in the elevator with a gentleman. He had two, two canes, and you could see he was struggling with walking. And when we went into the hospital, there was a, a, a check-in station, and they would give you sanitizer and make sure your name was on the list and make sure you had a mask. And if you wore gloves, they said, take those gloves off, and you had to then sanitize your hands again. And I got in the elevator with this gentleman, and he said something to me that was very strange. He said, this is what the Democrats wanted. Wanted this reality. I said nothing because I did not have time to engage in a nonsensical argument with somebody who was completely insane at the moment to think that a political party wanted this. They wanted this, this. I know there are a whole lot of conspiracy theorists out there. But you see, it's not about the conspiracy. What that man was in was denial. He had already crafted a narrative to, to justify his frustration, his anger with the current situation because he didn't want to face it. And if you don't want to face it, you not only create an illusion, but you create people to point the finger at. That's what happens when we're in denial. Have you been there? Well, you denied what was in front of you because the story you crafted was better than the truth you didn't want to face. That is... The danger of denial. It can cause us to live in illusions. Denying reality can cause us deeper forms of grief and mourning. The truth of the matter is, and when David was weeping, wailing, crying, over his son, Absalom, I'm convinced he was grieving his indiscretion with Bathsheba. He was mourning the loss of the nature of the relationship he had with God. 
He was weeping over his own inaction in the face of the rape of his daughter. And he was mourning the loss of his son that could have all been avoided if he had faced the reality and said something in the face of a gross injustice against his daughter. Denial is a dangerous thing, especially when denial becomes a form of coping because the reality is just too harsh. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning who even now is having a hard time facing your own current reality. And I speak now not of what we all face together, this pandemic, but maybe, maybe this season has been doubly difficult in the midst of a pandemic because it has forced you to face some things you've been avoiding for a long time. Most of all, it may be forcing you to face yourself. And some people will say that these are dark times. But maybe it is in these dark times that we discover things we might not have discovered in the daylight. Maybe in this season, we can drop the illusions Stop the pretentiousness, as I said last week. Maybe we can face realities and come out new on the other side. And those powerful words of James Baldwin, we may not be able to change everything we face, but we can change nothing if we're not willing to face something. Everything that is faced cannot be changed, but nothing will be changed unless it is faced. So if you want change in this season, maybe it's time to do some facing, looking in the mirror, being real with yourself. No need for denial when you believe in the presence of the love of God. Because if no one else can see, if no one else can embrace, God sees and God will embrace. And here's what I love. That same God is able to turn your mourning into dancing. That same God is able to escort you down the road that leads to painful encounters. That same God can cover you even in this season. Yes, it is dark, but it's still work to do. I was sharing with Deacon King that I watched a documentary about a basketball legend when I was coming up in New York City playing basketball, Lloyd Daniels, they called him Sweet Pea. And the documentary was powerful. And it was something I learned about Lloyd Daniels. It said that he used to practice in the park at night. 
He would go in the park by himself and he would throw the ball up against a fence and pretend that someone was passing and he would start shooting. He practiced at night and he had a friend who would come with him. He didn't understand how in the world, why would you practice at night? And Lloyd Daniel said, if I can shoot in the dark, just imagine what I'll be able to do when the lights come on. Maybe right now in this season, God has you practicing in the dark. Getting ready for the lights to come on. And if you can handle this, when those lights switch, flip, and this season has passed, you'll be stronger, wiser, and better. But for God's sake, don't be afraid to face what's in front of you. Don't let the illusion get the victory in this season. Don't be in denial of the difficult days we're in. Come on, let's draw closer to God and pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you today, oh God. We thank you, oh God. Because... Like David, oh God, some of us find it hard to face our current realities. Because maybe, oh God, our current realities are connected to past mistakes. And every time we face the current situation, we're reminded of maybe our misgivings in the past, our mistakes in the past. And so we seek to deny what's in front of us. We seek to avoid what's in front of us. But God, thank you for reminding us that there's danger in denial simply because there's dangers in living in illusions. God, thank you for this reminder. And oh God, we know it's difficult, oh God, when it comes time to face those difficult realities, those harsh realities. But the good news, oh God, is we do not face these moments alone. You walk with us. You talk with us. You remind us, oh God, who we belong to. We belong to you, oh God. And that is enough to keep us steady in turbulent times. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We honor you. We lift your name up high today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.